Hello, this is Damian Jackson, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And here we are once again with a blank canvas allowing a former Royals player to fill that in with all the stories and memories of their entire life in baseball. It's Davo, and I'm glad you're along here on Clubhouse Conversation. Yeah, this is a place where we talk to your favorite current Royals during the season and your favorite former Royals in the offseason. We profile entire lives in baseball, and we have so much fun doing it. And I'm glad you're along. By the way, I do want to pimp our website here at clubhouseconversation.com where you can subscribe and get all of the updates whenever we publish something here. You can subscribe on iTunes as well here through the site and have all of our interviews or post-game dishes downloaded straight into your iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse. That's at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter, Clubhouse Conversation on Facebook as well. And and I'm very excited here in mid-October 2016 as we're starting our full-fledged off-season coverage with weekly interviews with former Royals. I'm very excited to have Damian Jackson on the show. And some people will say, yeah, Damian Jackson, I remember him. Utility man, played balls to the wall, played all over the field. And that's all true about Damian Jackson. He spent 11 seasons at the major league level with eight different teams. And a lot of people will say, wait a minute, he played with the Royals? He did play with the Royals. And well, you know, I, I joke with Damian all the time. I've been talking to him for a couple years as we've gone back and forth trying to set this up. But, you know, I'm, maybe I'm the only living person to remember him as a Royal. But he was on the same Royals team for those couple of months with Joey Bats, Jose Bautista, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, Joey Bats, he played with him when he was in a Royals uniform. Most people don't remember that as well back in 2004. But, you know, we'll touch on the Royals. But Damian, what, a, what an interesting journey he's had. From a 44th round selection by the Cleveland Indians that came up there, played with the Reds, Padres for four years, made the playoffs with them. The Tigers, the Red Sox made the playoffs with them, had that infamous crash with Johnny Damon that Sports Science featured. We'll talk about that. The Cubs, the Royals, and Nationals. Jackson played with all those teams. Came up as a shortstop, played a lot of second base, played some third, played a lot of the outfield. 2,509 Major League at-bats for Damian Jackson. So quite the career, quite the life in baseball, and quite the thinking man, too. You learn a lot from talking to this guy, just as I had the last couple of years, and I'm excited to have him now join us on Clubhouse Conversation. Damian, first of all, thanks a lot for your time. And second of all, as I always like to joke, I mean, do you think I really am the only living person who remembers you primarily as a Kansas City Royal? I think you are. Um, it was such a short stint. It was a, um, you know, an, a, a utility guy on an American League team is really, really tough. You're almost like a ghost. Uh, you don't see very much playing time, and it's obviously because of the DH, and there's not a lot of moves that are made within the game. So if you're not an everyday player, uh, you kind of go under the radar. So I was um, really disappointed with that situation with the Royals because the problem that I have with baseball, and I say baseball because that's the only uh, profession that I was a part of in reference to mainstream sports, 
I'm, I'm sure it goes on in, in, in places like football and, and, and basketball as well. But when the front office and the coaching staff are not on the same page, it is so hard because a lot of ball players wind up being shipped to and moved to places that one part of the team doesn't really want or one part of the team doesn't feel like it's a part of their their puzzle that they're building and, and, and sometimes you get, you know, pushed off by the wayside and, 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 and it's sad because, you know, you're playing with someone's life. You're playing with their ability to showcase themselves. You're playing with, you know, time that someone can't get back. I mean, I can go out here and blow out my knee shagging fly balls during batting practice. So, you know, when you're when you when you go to a team, um that isn't on the same page, it's really tough. And it, it, it puts baseball players into a huge dilemma because, once again, if, if, if someone in the front office wanted me there but the manager didn't, it, it becomes real tough. And it's just a toxic environment that, you know, no one's really happy uh, to be a part of. And I don't think that it's, it's anything – individually driven or, or personally driven. It's not something that they didn't really like about me. It might have just been they liked somebody else and they were just upset or angry that the front office made a particular move. And I felt like that was, you know, somewhat the case in, 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 in my situation in Kansas City because obviously the front office makes a move and they're the ones that do all the transactions. And then I thought that you know, people in the coaching staff didn't really want me there, and, 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 and they probably wanted somebody that the organization got rid of back or more than they did me. So that's the reason why it was just such a tough uh, situation in Kansas City. I didn't enjoy it at all. I love the city. I would have loved to be a part of the win a winner there. It was some great guys, but, you know, it just didn't work out with the organization, and I think that it was because everybody wasn't on the same page. What was it like? Do you remember playing with a uh, a pre-superstar Joey Bats while you were here? Of course I do. And can you believe? I mean, I think about things like that all the time. Like, you know, how um, you know organizations just don't help certain people, and how other organizations do. Right. And I always try to think about that. You know, being an ex-player, I say, is it the city? Is it the coaching staff? Can it be a coaching staff member? Um, but I just basically think that it's faith. You know, when someone has faith in you and they say that this is yours, um, it, it, it releases a huge burden from your shoulders. It allows you to be free and just go out there and display your God-given ability and, and, and you really don't have to worry because that's one of the things in baseball that is just something that I, I don't wish on a lot of people. It's hard enough to hit a round ball with a round bat, but when you have to worry about your job um, being taken away or you have to worry about if you're going to have a job next year, you know, those are things that, that are real tough. But, of course, I remember Joey, and, and uh, he was a great player. He was a gr even better guy, to be honest, and that, and that just speaks volumes because we all know how good he is as a baseball player. But 
Yeah, uh, maybe he stopped. I, I think you know, some some sometimes people go places and they stop trying to be so technical. They stop trying to be so fine. And and right now, I think that uh, he just lets it go and he just has fun. And that's the reason why he hit so many home runs. I mean, tr- Toronto's a great place to hit, but I think in in Kansas City he was just too pressed. He was trying to be too fine and trying to, you know, be perfect. And I think that that's an attestment to the pressure that was, you know, placed on his shoulders as well. Plus, isn't it kind of hard? I mean, there was so much losing at that time. Isn't it almost hard to – isn't it kind of a toxic toxic atmosphere when there's that much negativity around? I wouldn't say it's toxic. I would just say that it's tough because they're always moving. They're always talking. They're always trying to figure something out. So – you know, you don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. Uh, you don't know who they're looking at or who they're going to trade for or who they're picking up a free agency or who they're going to call up from AAA just because, oh, we think that he's going to do better or we've given up. So let's just have this guy come over here and play and get his feet wet, so to speak, and, 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 and to let that person get acclimated with the pressures and the, and the idea of what he has to deal with on a day-to-day basis in the big leagues. Yeah. Well, so you've got – so let's go back and work our way back. You've got a pretty cool story. So you went to high school in Northern California, but before that you grew up in L.A. until junior high. Is that all correct? I grew up in L.A. up until uh, my sophomore season in high school. I was attending a a, a high school that it seems like everyone in my family went to, but it was – Especially because my mother graduated from that high school, and um, you know they were pretty competitive, so it was just a, a a good fit for me to be at. And but at the time, uh, my mother was actually addicted to drugs during that time of my life, so I was being taken care of and raised by my grandmother. And my sophomore year, uh, the Christmas vacation of my sophomore year, to be Exact. My grandmother passes away, and my uh, aunt was visiting from Northern California, and, and she said, you know, I think it would be better if you came up and stayed with me. And I, I took the chance because I really I loved Los Angeles, but I loved my area. That was pretty much all that I knew, but I knew that it was, it was toxic. I knew that, you know, I, I, I probably would need a different area geographically to have a better opportunity. So I'm, I, I went and, um, you know, I go up to Northern California and, you know, the, the, the baseball coach, he tells me, you guys can go to your positions and try out, but I want to let everyone know that if we have a returning starter, he's probably going to start again this year. So I picked up my bags and I said, well, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing here. If I have no chance to making this this roster or to play this position that I want to play because there was a returning player, if there is no element of competition, then I'm leaving. And I, and I did. So I didn't play my sophomore or my junior year. I was actually a 15-year-old playing on an 18 and older adult league that uh, a friend of mine asked me to play on that was a um, a co-worker of mine. We were both employed by Safeway. So I went to play on his adult league team just to stay fresh and to continue to do 
uh, the game that I loved. And, and, and lo and behold, my senior year, uh, the baseball coach comes out to the basketball courts where we were playing basketball at lunch, and he said, um, I want to get you to play baseball. I says, no, I heard all about, you know, how you guys just, play returning players so I'm not interested and he says oh we're actually a new coaching staff so we don't know him uh no better than you and and vice versa so uh everybody is is pretty much on an even playing field so so I I I went out and played and this guy that I was competing with was the starting shortstop uh on varsity since he was a freshman long story short I, I won the position I wound up being the starting shortstop uh, fast forward a bit, I, I was a really, really late draft pick. Um, it was actually the 44th round by the Cleveland Indians. Um, how I explained it to my kids, I say it was <laughs> the last day of the draft. It was uh, 4 or 5 in the in the evening, and, and it was just pulling a name out of a hat, so to speak. And, and there I was, but lo and behold, all I needed was an opportunity. Um, I didn't go that year. I was just too small, too weak. Uh, I attended a junior college, and and, and then I just stayed in contact with the Indians. And a year later, I wind up signing with them and taking off. Yeah, that's a great story. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, you went. You mentioned it was Laney College, right? Was the uh, with the college there in Oakland, and then so I want to ask you about '92. Uh, then your first year in the Appy League because uh, you played for Burlington. <laughs> Burlington's now the Royals there in the Appy League, that same you know town and everything, same park. So, what was that uh, first year away from home like in pro ball there in the Appy League? Oh, it was so hard, and 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 especially being from uh, the city, uh, you know, being a city boy. Being from California, um, it was hot, very humid. I had to do a lot of extra work because they had high regards for me, so I had to 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 uh, improve a little bit on a on a faster pace. We had a store to buy groceries from that closed it was one store at the time and it closed at about ten thirty. and you know <laughs> that when you play seven o'clock baseball games sometimes the game goes until 10 then you have to take a shower and and try to hustle to get somewhere so we wind up learning very quickly that you know we better buy our groceries and, and the things that we want to eat before we even go to the ballpark so we can you know, feed ourselves after the game, but it was just a culture shock because I was away from home. I had never been away from home. Um, you know, I didn't have a car, so we were either hitching rides and, and, and things of that nature or, or walking, and I was just in this very slow part of town, uh, very country-like, and... We only had one store that we could buy groceries from, and it closed at 10:30. So it was a lot of dilemmas, a lot of things in there that that would cause a wrinkle in your schedule in your life. But I did it. You know, I pretty much can rise to any opportunity. I can adjust. I can adapt. And that year proved that for me because, um, you know, when you take off and you go halfway across the country at 18 years old, and all your 
all your banking on and all your your eggs are in one basket in reference to, you know, this opportunity. Uh, I'm just going to try to make the best of this opportunity because this is the journey that I have to go through or I have to go on to fulfill my childhood dream. And, and I wasn't looking back. Yeah, you didn't. It didn't take long either. So you made your MLB debut at the end of 96. But going back, uh, do you have a cool story when you were, uh, I guess you were, what, at Buffalo? Did you have, when you found out the news you were going up, how'd, you, you know, how'd they tell you that? What do you remember about that moment? Well, I had a really good season in 1995 in Canton, Ohio, which was our double-A affiliate. And I got kind of called up slash rewarded at the end of 95 to go to Buffalo. So um, I was familiar with that, that team and those guys and, 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 and the city. So in 96, I, I, I'm, I'm returning there, obviously. And, and uh, you know, you fall in love with Buffalo. It's a, I, I consider Buffalo and Indianapolis a, a big, small town mm-hmm. or a small, big town, however you want to look at it. And it has a, 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 a nice down-home feel to it, but it also it has that, that nice city touch to it. And it's just a great place to be at, personally, except the cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cold there, uh, being right there off of Canada and Lake Erie. But we had a good year. We were, we were competitive all year. Um, We just came up short in the playoffs a little bit, and we were a little bit disappointed, and I get called into the manager's office, and I was really confused. I had no idea, or I wasn't contemplating one bit that I would possibly be getting called up. I I just thought that he was going to tell me that he was disappointed in me, that I didn't play better, or that we didn't go, you know, further in the playoffs, or something to that degree, and... Uh, my manager was Brian Graham, and he didn't smile a lot. And he has this, this this pretty straight face, this poker face on, and he's telling me about, you know, our disappointments within the year. We're sorry we didn't get a chance to go further, and, you know, we wish we would have had a better year. But, you know, he wanted to tell me that I was being called up. And <laughs> it's such a weird feeling because you go from, you know, this pouty little kid you know, like your your ice cream cone just fell on the floor <laughs> because you're losing and the season's over and you're you're done with the playoffs. So this instant elation, almost like somehow some somehow some way somebody just magically placed another ice cream cone in your hand with about ten scoops on it. <laughs> but that was the fail. Um, you know, it was a disappointing. Uh, end of our season because we were in the playoffs and we got eliminated, I want to say, by Louisville, Louisville Redbirds, I believe, but don't hold me to that. And, you know, then to be called up and to, to know that I was going to, to, the, to the big team was really exciting. I mean, we had such a powerhouse team and there were so many studs. Not only was was I elated to now be brothers and, 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 and battle, so to speak, with these guys. But I was also a fan. I was a, a fan of so many of those guys, and there were so many studs on that team. I was just like a kid in a candy store, but it was a, it was a good, good time. 
Yeah, well, you have Lofton and Bayerga and Bell and Ramirez and Tomey and all the all Travis Fryman, I think, all those guys, right? Yeah, man. Well, you, you can just keep going. <laughs> Dennis Martinez, Oral Hershiser, Nagy, Nagy, Mesa, Jose Jose Mesa. Yeah, man, those they those guys uh, made my childhood uh, a, a negative time with all the beating of the Royals, man, for that decade. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a rough. Uh, I was gonna say Manny Ramirez was the puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so first half of 97, you're with the Indians, and then you get traded to the Reds kind of in a blockbuster deal on the trade deadline. So your emotions on leaving the team that had drafted you and developed you, and you know what was that like that moment when you found out? That was hard. Uh, it's awesome that you bring that up because for anybody that you know would, would, would be interested in stories like this, it's kind of a boring and, and cool story at the same time it has a sweet and sour feel to it because uh 97 the the all-star game was was being hosted by the indians and we were just coming off of of that break and that celebration and all the things that are involved and and in, in, in your city your team hosting the all-star game you know you have the the games the future games the celebrity games the derby then obviously the All-Star game, and then you have the parties, you know, where you meet a lot of high-name, high-celebrity-type people that don't play your sport uh, within these parties. And then I believe we are, um, gosh, I don't know where we're going, but we were to report to Jacobs Field, um, I want to say on the last game of, or the last day of the break, and then we were uh, flying out to uh, start the second half of the season on the road. And we're just standing in the clubhouse, and everybody's taking the bags to the truck. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty normal thing. Your suitcases are being loaded on, on, on a truck along with your baseball equipment, and that truck takes off, and it it gets to the plane before you do, and it drops everything off. Well, they actually had to slow everything down and everyone was confused why we were taking so long and they were taking so long because they were actually making a trade and then they had to go on the truck and they had to take my stuff off the truck and and, and here, here I was uh, I don't think I, w- I was alone but I'm not sure who I was uh, in the package with but I was being traded for John Smiley and uh, I was told that, you know, it's, it stinks, dude, but we need someone to kind of balance out and, and, and help us on the left-handed side of pitching. I think the, the words were we need to turn Bernie, Bernie Williams over to the right side and we need someone to, to help us out with Paul O'Neill and Tino Martinez in, in New York. So... I, I was told, and it felt like I got fired. It felt like I was released, or it felt like I was unwanted because this was the first time that I had gone through that. You know, the Cleveland Indians, I call, as you mentioned, was my mother organization. They gave birth to me in this world of baseball, and it was hard. I mean, I knew everybody from the from the general manager to the assistant to the assistant to the farm director to the the head of scouting, I knew everyone. And now I have to say goodbye to all those people. And, and um, it was a few guys that was, 
you know, that were equally as sad as I was. And it made it feel a little bit better because I didn't, I didn't walk out the door with this feeling that I was unwanted after seeing people that, you know, was a part of the organization as sad as I was to see me go, you know, yeah, that was. That'd be, it made it, it. It made it feel a little bit better to 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 have to depart the the only family that I knew. Yeah. Well. Okay. So how about Cincinnati? So ninety seven and ninety eight. There. First of all, did you like the uh, skyline chili as much as me? And what was that time like there in Cincinnati? <laughs> yeah, they put chili on everything over there, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. It's good too. <laughs> yeah, it is. That was a tough time because uh, they had plans for me to be a part of the team but for me to be a part of the team they had to get other things to happen and under my impression they had to move Brett Boone they wanted Barry Larkin to start at shortstop they wanted you know their top prospect whom is now the utility guy which is Pokey Reese to play second base and they wanted me to come along and fill in in the you know, role that Pokey Reese was, was currently um, playing, which was the utility guy. Lo and behold, like I said, under my impression, um, they wanted to move Brett Boone, and it was harder to do that because he had some down years during those times, and, 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 and there weren't a lot of people knocking at the door to get Brett Boone to come over. And it was because he was an established player. It was become It was because he comes with a higher market value to where, you know, teams, they already knew that they were going to be at a minimum level of, 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 of a certain salary that they would have to pay this guy. So what that basically means is that, you know, they would have to pay a lot of money for someone that wasn't very productive during those, during those years. And, and like I said, under my impression, it was hard for them to move. Uh, him, so I was kind of up and down when people got hurt, and I was stuck in Indianapolis to where I felt like, you know, I was ready to be a big leaguer. I mean, one of the tough part, parts about when I actually first got to Cincinnati was the fact that I was in the big leagues with the Indians. Now, that might not have remained. Uh, I don't know how long I would have been there, but I was in the big leagues with the Indians. They tell me that I'm traded to the Reds, and the Reds send me to AAA. So that was a tough pill to swallow. But uh, I did it. You know, I hunkered down, and, and, and I knew that this was just another obstacle that I was going to have to hurdle because my eyes were set on the goal, and no, nothing was going to deter that. So then you go back to Cali. So San Diego, this was another big trade. You went with Reggie Sanders for Mark Sweeney and Greg Vaughn. So three years in San Diego, you played every day all three of those years. I'm assuming, am I right, that those are your three favorite you know, years of your career or right up there? They're right up there. And it's because San Diego, when, when I was there, um, was owned by uh, Larry Lucchino and John Moores and they were just such filthy people. They they made you feel like family. So yes, I was, you know, finally getting this opportunity. Uh, felt like all my resiliency and 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 perseverance and and hard work is is finally paying off. And and I'm so happy to get this opportunity to to, to showcase myself on a day to day basis. So yes, it is, you know, up there, along with, you know, my 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 time in Boston. 
I always say Cleveland, San Diego, Boston were my favorites because that was my mother. That was my first opportunity. And Boston was where we were winning. So, you know, winning is always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, how about Tony Gwynn? We lost him, obviously, way too young. What was he like? He was a unbelievable student. He just, uh, I, I can't even explain, uh, or I should say it's hard for me to explain. Not everyone will understand, but he was the pioneer of video. Uh, I'm not sure if you know that, Dave, but... no. He was one of the first guys that really started to video himself and have people video his at bat so he can, you know, diagnose himself and, and, and self-correct himself. And and he, along with his wife, used to take these videos and 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 and, and study them at home so he can have a better idea or a better plan on how he was going to attack the next day. So, you know, I think the video guys around the world in Major League Baseball should really be thanking Tony Gwynn because he was one of the first guys to to have his organization hire an everyday video guy. But he used to, you know, study his at-bats on the plane. He used to study his at-bats at home. And, you know, me being a fan, because I came over uh, to the Padres, you know, in Tony Gwynn's 16th or 17th year, and... So I was very aware of who he was and what he has accomplished in this game. And, and for me to find out that he isn't just good, but he also studies, you know, he was one of the main reasons that I wanted to, you know, video myself. And I started to video myself defensively. I started to video myself on the basis to see what my first step was doing to try to give myself that little bit of edge. And, and of course, I did my at-bats because, you know, if there was, you know, one element of my game that I struggled with the most or was the most challenging, it was hitting. And, um, you know, part of that because part of that I attest that to, you know, never really getting a concept to, to, to fall in love with. And, 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 you know, me and a couple friends of mine, we joke about it now on how I listen to too many people, but, he was just an amazing father. He was a student of the game, and he just worked his tail off. And, and, and these were things that a lot of people didn't know. And it was because you really had to be, you know, behind closed doors to see this part of him. You had to get to the ballpark at one <laughs> to really see Tony Gwynn working. And he usually had, you know, the hitting instructor, Merv Retman, and someone throwing in batting practice at 1 o'clock so he could really focus on himself. Um, you know, some people thought it might be somewhat selfish, but me personally, I feel like when I have less distractions, I focus better myself as well. So I think that that's what he was doing. He just wanted to eliminate a few distractions so he could really focus in on what he wanted to do. He was always available to the media. He never backed down from the media. So that's the reason why he got his work out of the way so he can give himself to the media. And and, and like I said, growing up fatherless uh, myself, that was one of the main things that I really 
noticed right away and I fell in love with about Tony Gwynn was how much of a good father he was, how much he loved excuse me, his son and his daughter. And uh, it was very sad uh, when he passed, because you were right, Dave, we lost him too early, and, and it was right around that time he had just become a grandfather, and he didn't even get a chance to, to really enjoy his, his grandson for very long. I think he was only around for about three months, um, and, and obviously he was going through so much chemo and so many trials at the time, but that's what he was, man. He was an, a student of the game. He was a hard-thinking worker at his craft, and he was an unbelievable husband and father. And those were the things that I will forever say till I die because that's what stood out to me about him. What a, what a great answer. Now, how about uh, how about a little rumor about you, July of 01? Broken Brat Grand Slam against Wade Miller at Houston. Is this a true thing? Did you actually do that? It was. It was a true story. <laughs> And I, I, we laugh about it about, we laugh about this from a few different angles. For one, it's one of these debates on, you know, why some people use ash and why some people use maple. And, you know, a lot of people will say, I hate maple because sometimes the bat is broken and you don't know it. And that's the only thing that I can really say in reference to why that happened with me because it wasn't like it was something that was on the end of the bat where it wasn't like something that was, you know, in the area that you would get jammed. And I just uh, muscled this ball out of there. That wasn't the case. I hit that ball square on the barrel and it sounded like someone just popped a cork on a champagne bottle. That was the pop sound that you heard. And the bat just snapped. So we believe, you know, a few of the the teammates that we used to have this dialogue with would say was that bat had to already have been broken because it sounded too good. You hit it perfectly on the barrel and the bat just snapped. Now, obviously, you can bring in the play that Wade Miller is bringing some velocity. So he added the majority of the power and you can obviously bring... Uh, another contributing factor was, you know, that ballpark is kind of small. <laughs> yeah. So it has a big wall, but I, I think, if I remember correctly, it's like 310 maybe, yeah. 310 to left field with the, with the high wall, with the 25-foot wall, 25-30-foot wall. So those are the, 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 the reasons that I think all that happened, but it was a it was a great story. I have it on video, so I know it's true. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So okay, so three years with the Padres, then uh, spring training O two, you head to Detroit uh, with a trade there. So you know, I'm assuming that was not not a great day for you, and obviously that season probably not a lot of fun. Is that right? Well, uh, spring of 2002, I lost my really good friend named Mike Dar. Uh, we had a terrible accident within our organization. Mike Dar was uh, in spring training, and we were there a little early. So this is a, you know, a story that that used to weigh heavy on my heart because I used to blame myself for this. We were both uh, pressed with our backs against the wall. We didn't have the best season the previous year, so they were thinking. Uh, 
what they they weren't thinking. They brought in other people to compete with us for the position. It just wasn't going to be ours. So I said, you know, hey, Mike, I'm going down. I think we didn't have to report till the 21st, maybe. And I said, 21st of February. And I said, Mike, I'm going down on the 15th. I just want to get acclimated with the environment. You know, I have some respiratory problems at times. And that dry air in Arizona becomes tough to just transition over to. So I get there early. I said, you should go too. You know, our backs are against the wall. They're trying to take our positions away from us. Let's go just get a jump start. And he didn't actually come until the 19th, but he was still there early. And, or I should say the 17th. He came the 17th. And um, we move into our apartments. We're working out a few hours a day at the facility. And he goes out for bite to eat and a couple of drinks with a couple of friends of his. One of them was a childhood buddy of his named Dwayne Johnson. And the other one was a prospect with the Padres named Ben Howard. And they get into a car accident and Mike Dar and Dwayne Johnson, who were both in the front seat, Mike was driving, Dwayne was in the passenger, did not have on their seatbelt. And Ben Howard did. And he was the only one that survived that crash as they flipped about six lanes or about five lanes because they went off the freeway and onto the to the side of the freeway. And, um, yeah, they passed away uh, in that accident. So the Padres, to my impression, said we need an everyday outfielder. DJ, we know that you play outfield. Uh, we know that you can play everywhere, but we we primarily want you in the in the in the infield. So we need an everyday outfielder. That's what we need. And to get the everyday outfielder, um, it's funny, and you know what's even crazier that I'm telling you this story because I just got off the phone with him about an hour ago. Is my best friend, and probably the one person in the world that I consider to be a brother is Trinidad Hubbard. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, Kevin Towers, the general manager, he comes up to me and he says, hey, DJ, I heard you and Trinidad are good friends. Tell me about him. I said, a lot of people think he's flashy. Some people even throw out the word hot dog. But you are going to get maximum effort, high caliber uh, talent, and, and and absolute productivity. So he pats me on my back and he says, DJ, good to hear. So my best friend who I just campaigned for now needs my roster spot. In order to get him, they have to get rid of me <laughs> to free up the roster spot. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that something, right? <laughs> That's the world of baseball. <laughs> I love that. Hubbard's yeah. the man. I love that guy. High character, too. Yes, 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 yes. You're absolutely right. I didn't mention that part at the time, but they they quickly found that out. But, yeah, so then I get shipped off to Detroit, and just an absolute uh, another situation within my career that is just a something that I label as a spoiled salad. We go over there, I go over there, and 
it's about five days before spring training ends. We break camp. You know, they already have their starters. They already have, you know, pretty much everything uh, set in stone. And I'm going to be, once again, this utility guy in the American League, which gets no playing time. And I think we go 0-8. So the general manager who wanted me, I think it was Randy Smith, and the manager, Phil Garner, are both fired eight days into the season because we started off the season 0-8. So now... Here we go again, like the like the like the uh, Kansas City situation. They bring in other guys that didn't want me, like the previous guys did, and I just sat there and we rotted away. Uh, we had an interim manager. Uh, the team was still pretty bad and just going through some tough things. We had a lot of uh, clubhouse drama and just things within the clubhouse that caused so much friction, you know, it was just like being on the field with a bunch of enemies. Yeah. Not many people really liked each other, or I should say the whole team did not like each other. <laughs> and that was just a tough ordeal to, to, to go through. And like I said, adding to this spoiled salad, which is, you know, me being a utility guy in the American League, you just get no playing time at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, the next year was we mentioned earlier Boston. And by the way, I made my first Fenway trip this summer. Loved it. Love Boston. So 2003, you're their uh, top utility guy. You got to play in the postseason for the first time as well. So playing in Boston, what was that experience like? I'm assuming pretty much great. You know, memories all across the board. Mentally and physically exhausting. Yeah. Uh, you know, Boston was a great experience for me, but it was really demanding because they literally wanted me. And they literally wanted me to do everything. So uh, every single day I had to take ground balls at third, short, second, and sometimes even first base. And then I had to go out and take fly balls in the outfield. I didn't have to do all three positions because, you know, outfield drills are outfield drills. But what I wanted to do was get a view at every outfield position. So I would take my uh, fungos from the coach but then I would take a bunch of reads off the bat, off the live bat, so I can see how the ball would come off the bat, you know, and what it would do, uh, you know, bouncing off the green monster, uh, that deep center field little gap out there, and, and, and then obviously that close curve uh, where the pesky pole lies. So the dimensions were weird, and I wanted to make sure that I got uh, – a good look from every single viewpoint on that field. And, and you know, it was just, it was a three-hour, three, three, three-and-a-half-hour game every single night. So with all that preparation, with all those positions that I had to do, uh, you had a lot of, of, of mental, you know, engagements that you had to, to really stay involved in. That was one of the only situations that I was in an, on an American League team that it had a National League feel because there was a lot of defensive replacements. There was a lot of pinch running. You know, we had Kevin Millars and, and, and Big Poppy and, and Manny Ramirez who, you know, weren't the fastest of guys. So a lot of times you would be put in the game 
you know, to try to steal a run or to get a stolen base, you know, like Boston's been doing to 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 really get on their 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 their, their run of winning ever since 2003. They've really been you know, trying to get a key stolen base here and there and, and uh, you know, a good defensive replacement, you know, on occasion. So besides the winning, that was fun. But every single night I literally was so exhausted. Um, I didn't want to do anything but just hit the bed, hit, hit the sack. Huh. And at the time I also – I had two, two, two infant little boys at the time too, so it was really – Really demanding, but it was really rewarding at the same time. Yeah. So, how about uh, we got the trifecta of uh, a future and former Royals here? 2003 ALDS. You probably know the second base against Oakland. You and Johnny Damon uh, collide on that Jermaine Die fly ball. So, three Royals right there. How you know Damon ended up getting a concussion and missed a couple of games? How scary was that moment for you? It was really scary because what I just mentioned was the defensive replacement aspect that we used to do in Boston. And at the time, Todd Walker was our starting second baseman, and, 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 and sometimes I would be put in as a defensive replacement. So when, you, when you're put in as a defensive replacement, what do you want to do? You want to make every play. You want to you play defense. So I used to tell all the outfielders, you know, I'm coming. Even I don't care how far you think I am. I don't care if you think I am too far. I don't care what you think. You know, my main objective, if, if I can't get a base hit, if I can't get a stolen, you know, if I can't do one of the aspects of the game, I want to make sure that I'm doing one of the others. So I obviously probably won't get in that bat. I'm, if I don't get in that bat, I won't get on base. So I can't do the other things that I would be asked to do to contribute. So, Defense is pretty much the only one. So, you know, if you tell me or if I hear I, I don't even have to hear got it, you know, because usually that's what you would say is I got it. If I just hear I, I'm leaving. I am retreating. I am getting out of there. There would be no fight, you know, from me as far as who's going to make this play here because I understand who has priority. And when you're going back as an infielder, Outfielders have priority over you. So I learned that at a very young age, and um, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear one word, and I go back and I look at that tape all the time because, you know, that's something that a lot of people will say, oh, man, you know, you made me, you just you ruined dinner time because that was right when I was eating dinner, and I just wanted to barf when I saw you guys colliding heads. And, and it was so tough because it, it, it felt like someone lit a firecracker right on top of my head. It was just the loudest boom, and I didn't black out. I didn't lose consciousness, but it was the loudest boom and the loudest ring within my ears that I had ever felt in my life or ever experienced. And And... Even though I didn't lose consciousness, I had no idea if I made the play. I had no idea if I had broken a bone. I had no idea what just happened. I thought, if you really want to know, I thought, you know how fans run on the field? I thought I was running back 
to go catch a fly ball, and some fan had ran on the field in the, in the middle of that play huh. and whacked me in my head with the bat Man. as I was running back to go catch that fly ball. But lo and behold, <laughs> me and Johnny Damon crashed faces, and uh, they had an interesting perspective on it as uh, they, they did an episode on sports science about it, talking about me going 13 miles per hour and he going um, 14, I believe, or it might have been me going 12 and he going 15, which is a combination or something to, to the effect of 27 combined, 27 miles per hour, at just crashing head-to-head. Head. And they were talking about how the the brain sits within the skull and what it does in head trauma. And it was really interesting because I didn't have any serious effects then. Like I said, I didn't lose consciousness. Uh, I stayed in the game. I actually hit the very next inning, the bottom half of that inning, because, you know, we were down and we really needed to, to have my speed on the bases. But it was so foggy. I felt like the game was being played in a, in, a, in a field of mist or fog. Nothing was real clear or crisp. Everything was kind of foggy. And then we jumped on the plane and went back to Boston. We wind up winning the series in Boston. And we went on to the uh, American League Championship game. And like I said, I had no, no effects then besides the fog. But my memory is terrible now. And I know that this, it's because of that collision and the multiple times that I've been hit in the face, you know, by a pitch ball. But, you know, that's just that's what you do. That's what you – it's just one of the things that you go through, you know, when you're trying to keep a job. You're yeah. trying to win and you're trying to compete to the, to the, to the maximum of your ability. That probably makes it hard to watch a movie like Concussion or something too, right? No, it made it really good, actually. Because, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because it's educational. And and the only hard part about it was no one in my family, especially my, ch- especially my children, they will never see the light of football. So <laughs> even though I love football and everything about it, I, I just know that what he was saying in that movie is so true and I know that it can have an effect on your 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 whatever chapters that is after your your career is over with. I know for 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 a one hundred percent fact that those constant head collisions can have an effect on, on, on when you retire and, and who you are and the quality of life that you're living after your career is over with. Because when I played football and my football life was so short, so short. And it was because, yes, I was fast, and it was very hard for someone to catch me, but I thought if I get hit by one of these line, you know, linebackers that's you know, unbelievably big and strong, you know, these guys are running four fives and four sixes, and they're 230 pounds, 240 pounds, and that's just ridiculous. I was just absolutely petrified of being blindsided by somebody that fast and that big. But every single day, every day that I put a helmet on, I had a headache every day. And they say that uh, a headache due to 
contact due to two heads colliding or, or your head colliding with another object, a headache is, is, a, is the beginning stages of a concussion. So if that is true, I had a headache every day that I put a helmet on. Jeez. Yeah, man. You think even baseball players like Ryan Friel and stuff, and you hear what happened to him, the tragedy at the end from all those concussions and stuff. Exactly. It's, it's scary, man. So 2000, exactly. 2004 roller coaster. Uh, you signed with the Rockies to spring training. Then they released you right before opening day. Then you signed with the <laughs> Cubs, spent two months with the Cubs, and then you're traded to the Royals for Gookie Dawkins in mid-June of 2004. So getting back to the Royals again, you know, what, what did they tell you when they first got you, and what do you remember about that moment when you first came over here? Oh man, I don't remember anything because I got very, I got very little communication. That was 2004. Uh, even though uh, I, I just explained to you in, in '02, I lost one of my uh, dear friends tragically to a car accident. 2004 is 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 one of the most horrid times of my career. Um, I have actually, for the very first time, a guaranteed contract. Every single year I have had to fight for a contract and fight for a spot on the roster. I never had anything, uh, even in the, in, in the realm of a two-year deal, just guaranteed that I'd have two years of employment. Every single year I had to sign a new deal. Every single year I had to earn a roster spot. So 2004, I actually for the very first time, have a guaranteed contract. You are going to be employed by the Colorado Rockies no matter what, or you are going to get the money that we're offering you no matter what. So I get into spring training, and I'm, 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 I'm busting my tail like I do all the time. All I know how to do is work. And at the time, they had, I think, non- Nine, excuse me, nine non-roster invitees, and they also had two or three um, rule, uh, two yes, two or three rule five drafts. So at the end of spring training, they had a ton of decisions to be made. They had to find out who were they going to keep, who were they going to get rid of. You know, the rule five guys, they have to send them back. Uh, the non-roster guys was a, was a ton of pitching, a ton of veteran pitchers. I want to say like Turk Wendell and and, and Jeff Facero, yeah. and a lot of guys like that. You know, older veteran pitchers. And 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 Colorado, they love to stack pitching. They love to always have a lot of pitching because it's so hard to pitch there. So with that being said, they felt like they needed other positions more than they needed me. I mean, I was told that uh, you are going to be so needed with this team. To have your speed roaming that big outfield, gosh, we need you, and I'm so happy that you're here. Like you said, five days before spring ends, they release me. Um, very first time I had a guaranteed contract. Very first time that I was released. <laughs> and... I called my friend Trinidad Hubbard, who was with the Iowa Cubs or with the Chicago Cubs in spring training, and he called the farm director, and they said, yeah, come on down here. We'd love to have you. I actually signed a, 
a minor league deal with the with the Cubs. I go to Iowa. Let me just back up one second. I had everything in my truck. I had a truck that I had driven to Tucson from California, and I had everything in this truck. I had baby toys. Uh, I had a hundred pair of my wife's shoes, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Because obviously, taking it within the taking it in the truck, you don't have to pay for shipping. So I had all this stuff in the truck because I was guaranteed I was going to Colorado supposedly. So fast forwarding back to where we were, my truck, a ton of stuff. I ship my car as I am being uh, stationed, as you would say, in Iowa, in Des Moines. So I ship my truck from Tucson to Des Moines. Uh, I have a really good time in Des Moines. You know, I am really determined. I'm, 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 the chip on my shoulder is bigger than ever. I wind up getting called up to Chicago after a couple months. Uh, I wasn't sure what they were doing there. Uh, didn't play very much. I actually, my very first at bat with the Chicago Cubs, I hit a home run. I get this big standing ovation. I'm not sure if I'm being asked to do a curtain call, but I lift my helmet up from the dugout because I'm I'm not really that kind of guy that wants a lot of attention on me. And, you know, I get 15 other at-bats, and, and uh, I didn't get another hit since. But my bats were sporadic. My playing time was minimal, and, you know, their reasoning for releasing me or, or, or trading me, they wind up trading me to the, to the Royals, but their reason for getting, sending me back to, I think they sent me back to, to, to Iowa, to be honest. They're sending me back down because I'm one for 15. And I try to explain to these people, I'm not sure the last time you guys played, you know, but it's very hard when you don't see an at-bat in, in, in between eight days. Yeah. You know, if I'm playing once every eight days, this is just extremely hard to be successful. So I go back down to Des Moines. I am uh, obviously unhappy there, um, you know, having to return. They trade me over to, to Kansas City. Uh, I go to Omaha. I have a lot of friends on the Omaha Royals at the time, to be honest. So it was it was really cool to be there. One of one of my real good friends who who lives here in California, who was playing with the Royals at the time, was Calvin Pickery. Yeah, yeah. So I really enjoyed him. Man, he was just a monster. If I got on base, he was driving me in every single time. So it was really good. It seemed like when I sat the table, he wound up cleaning it up. So it was a lot of fun. Um, our manager, Jersh, was there. He's a good dude. I mean, I have um, – our pitching coach was um, – Was it Bergmeier? No, the – LaRoche. Dave LaRoche. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, 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 great guy. And uh, it was fun. But, you know, the year was tough. I had a lot of, of – frustration, you know, built up in, 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 in my insides due to everything that I had been through that year. But I think I still do well. We 
we uh, were fighting for a playoff spot. We were like in last place before I got there. And then we wind up coming up short, I think a game and a half or maybe even one game for making the playoffs. So we had a really good run and I was very productive there. And like I said, um, capping off that year, they called me up to Kansas City. A uh, bunch of great guys there. Baroa, Angel Baroa, Desi Relaford, you know, whom is a friend of mine now, still, still to this day. Ken Harvey, you know, was there. And, uh, you know, Sweeney, everybody loves Sweeney. And it was just a great group of guys there as well. Yeah. Well, how about Manag- manager, manager and front office were not on the same page. <laughs> I've heard that plenty. Uh, <laughs> and it was just so it, it, it was so many things that no one really understood. So many transactions, so many decisions, who's pitching, who's playing. I mean, I, I ran into one of my great stories that I tell. And it wasn't necessarily due to uh, the functionality of the organization or uh, the the losing that we were experiencing. It was more so <laughs> what his view of being a professional baseball player actually was or, or what his views were compared to what it actually was. One of my famous stories was I go in and, 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 and I'm getting loose inside the weight room and, and Zach Grinke is in there and he's contemplating quitting. <laughs> and I say, why would you do that, man? He says, well, this once every five days thing is driving me crazy. I says, well, have you ever thought about it in the half full perspective? Like, I only have to work one out of five days. <laughs> and he says, no, I never thought about it like that. And I says, man, I really hope that you're joking. You're so talented. You're so loved. And, and, and you don't have to worry about ever being ran out of town you know if you were to stop playing it would it would obviously be strictly due to you and your choices but lo and behold this guy's made over 150 million dollars now <laughs> he didn't quit so it wound up working out for us well he quit for a bit <laughs> for a little bit he did so yeah he did yeah uh okay so how about I, you may not remember this this is really digging deep but your first at bat as a royal you hit a double down the right field line at Atlanta with the bases loaded. You drove in two. Do you remember that at all or not? I do not. <laughs> okay. I honestly do not. And um, you said it was at Atlanta? That's what the media guy said or something said that, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't Maybe I was thrown in there in Atlanta, and, and it probably makes sense because I was familiar with the National League. But And we were playing – if it was in Atlanta, we were playing – National League rules, so therefore uh, we had to hit our pitcher and things of that nature. So it probably had more of a National League feel to it. But I don't, I don't remember contributing with the with the Royals. I don't remember anything. It was it was so hard. I remember Omaha more than I remember Kansas City. Hmm. All right, so end of that year, uh, signed with the Padres, spent 05 with San Diego, 118 games. Uh, really nice job there. You went two for three with a walk in the NLDS against the Cardinals. Was that pretty heartbreaking, losing that series to the Cardinals? Yeah, it was, and you want to know why? Is, is, I was just explaining this to 
my children last night and my fiance as well. Um, because I'm in a new relationship. Obviously, I told you I got a new baby <laughs> <laughs> because I got into a new relationship. But uh, I was explaining to them about getting to the most important time of the year and having all all of your weapons. You know, I was ex- explaining to my kids, he was like, what happened to the Mets? That's what my oldest boy said. And I said, um, you know, well, they were really shorthanded. They didn't, ha- they didn't have DeGrom. They didn't have Harvey. Harvey. And, um, you know, offensively they did pretty good, but when you only really had – they didn't even have the, 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 the other lefty that was the fifth guy. They oh, Matt's. Yeah, Stephen Matt's. Yes. So I was telling them about how they were shorthanded, and, and we were shorthanded that year in 05. Um, Jake Peavy, whom was obviously our ace, but, you know, gave us that fighting chance to equalize some of those powerful bats over there. And this guy is shagging fly balls. And he's actually running back to shag a fly ball. And he's running towards his right, you know what I mean, with his right shoulder. Mm Mm-hmm closest to the to the home run fence and he doesn't calculate it correctly or he he can't catch the ball so he goes further than what he projected it hits the wall bounces off the warning track and hops up and pops him in his middle finger on his pitching hand absolute terrible coincidence or terrible just act of of, of, of something out of nowhere which caused him to not really be effective. They thought that he was going to be able to do it. He tried his absolute butt off, but he wasn't the same because his fingernail was exploded on his middle finger of his pitching hand. So, you know, that took a lot of the air out of our sails, and and then we quickly went down uh, 0-2, and I, then I get to start in St. Louis because um, – I believe they had a lefty pitching. I forget his name. He was one of those studs in Oakland. Mulder? Zito? Mulder, Mulder yes. Yeah, Mulder. Yes, yes, Mulder. And uh, so I get to start against the left-hander. And and like you said, I got a couple hits, but we were defeated. They were they were just too much better than us. And, and um, you know, that was a tough draw to get them the very first game. But, you know, that's the way that it goes sometimes. Well, and for some reason, you could never stick with the Padres. You were always good for them in those, what, four years or so. But then 06, you wrap it up, uh, you know, in your MLB career with the Nationals. Any nice memories playing there? Well, um, yeah, it was nice. I I really did not like the the city. Uh, D.C. is real tough, man. I mean, that being in the nation's capital and and, – to know about all that crime that takes place there just just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you would think that that would be the, the safest area in the world, but uh, places like Georgetown and stuff like that is it's a it's a economically higher bracket area, so there's not much crime. But in the in the city of of D.C., it's just tough. But 
I remember it being humid and hot there. Um, once again, I had, you know, my family with me. We had a dog that we had just recently purchased. My dog was in Washington. So it was a really good time. Uh, I was being used not as much as I would hope, but once again, is another situation to where the front office wants me there and the manager doesn't. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't like me as a person or a player. Sometimes it just means he likes someone else. And, you know, for me to come over there, I was actually a, um acquisition by uh, Jim Bowden, and, and I previously had a relationship with Jim Bowden because he was the general manager with the Reds. So now he's the manager with general manager with the Nationals, and he wanted me there. And um, I think Frank Robinson just really wanted um, Jamie Carroll there, or I think his name is Jamie, but I know yep. his last name is Carroll. Yeah, it is Jamie Carroll. Yep. He, he was the utility guy there, and I guess the front office wasn't so in love with him. But because, you know, Frank Robinson was on the field with him and probably saw, like every manager sees, their utility guy, how hard they work on a day-to-day basis because they have so much that they have to be prepared for, he probably fell in love with him. And because of that reason, he was sad to see him go and wasn't so happy to see me walk in the door. And like I said, it doesn't always mean it's something personal. Sometimes it's just, you know, due to your extensive relationship with someone else. And and, and those are, I mean, Washington, Kansas City, and Detroit were my three years. And this is the reason that I brought this up at the very beginning of the conversation, how it's so hard because people forget that they're playing with someone's life. People forget that they're playing with someone's career, and it affects their family, and, and, and it can have a tremendous, you know, turnaround in reference to a good year and a bad year or having a job the next year. And, and, and that's the tough part about this game. It has so much politics involved. Uh, you know, I almost don't don't wish it upon my children i almost i almost wish that they don't like baseball and my my oldest boy he loves baseball and i tell him all the time i hope your decisions don't have anything to do with me because you weren't the reason for my career and i won't be the reasons for yours so i hope that you are loving and wanting to be involved with baseball because that's what you want not because your dad did it because it can be it can be cruel. It can be really tough. And you know, obviously, who, who wants to introduce their their children to a cruel world? I mean, we try to shelter our kids and give them the best possible environment to be successful. And and baseball isn't always that. Yeah, 
Totally. Um, last three questions for you, and thanks so much for all your time. While we're on the topic of uh, family, kind of. So, you know, from hearing you talk, obviously you've had a very, very uh, interesting uh, background, and you went through a lot growing up, and, and obviously family is very important to you. So, you know, from what you've learned from both your parents growing up and then now that you're parenting kids, you know, what, well, I guess what have you learned the most as a parent, and what are, what are you hoping to, you know, teach your kids the most? I learned that I was going to break the cycle of, the deadbeat situation that my dad created. I knew for a fact how much it stung, or I never forgot, I should say, how much it stung to not have a father in your life on a day-to-day basis, being a young boy that needs to be, um, you know, taught how to be a man and and to be shown um, how to go about certain things and to, to get that advice and, you know, sit down and just have, talks uh, with someone that is your father and how important that would be. I learned that, you know, this was something that I would never do to my children. No way in heck would I ever abandon them, you know, and and, and not be a part of their lives. And and it doesn't matter what cards I was dealt. I would never leave them because, you know, I still hold near and dear to my heart it isn't so dear, but it is definitely near the, the, the pain of my childhood, the, the, the difficulties of not having a father around. And, and, and with that being said, I've also, you know, learned that I've never, ever, ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would love something more than I did myself. And I know that sounds funny because, you know, it, it, it seems a little bit like you're, you're, you're stuck on yourself or you're, you're, you're holding yourself to a, to, a, to a high pedestal. But, you know, I think that everyone should love themselves to a great deal. But I never experienced the emotional shift of at that very moment that you become a father, how you would instantly give your life to extend theirs. And those are some powerful, powerful feelings. I always say, why do they? Why do they say a real motherly woman is maternal, and why is it a, 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 a emotionally embedded man just paternal? I always feel like that has no. Um, it has no consistency to it. I always feel like it, it, it's cutting the man short because. I feel like I am as as just as embedded emotionally as if I gave birth to these children. And it's a great feeling and, and, and I I'm so glad that I was able to be a father. I'm so thankful and so so grateful and so blessed because they have they have enhanced my life. I mean I thought, you know, baseball would be the highlight of my life, but when my children came around Obviously, baseball can't even compare. It's not even in the same uh, hemisphere to being a parent. So I learned that I was going to break the cycle, Dave, and I and I and I learned that instantly when you when I became a father, that you know I would give everything of my being to to extend their being, and 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 they have made me you know one of the most happiest guys in the world, and that's what I am really you know, happy to be doing. A lot of people say, what are you doing? 
and um, you know what are you trying to do and you know me and Trinidad are trying to to get our uh, we're trying to start up a sports apparel line and it's called Game Face and you guys can can check that out at GameFaceUSA.com but more importantly than that it would be great to start a sports apparel because I feel like that's kind of what sports players should do is the apparel industry. It's like record recording artists, they should they should own their own record label. You know, models, they should own their own clothing line. It just makes sense. Right. That's what they've been doing. But more importantly than that, what am I doing? I am being a father. I am, you know, wiping up boo-boos with my my, my 15-month-old uh, little girl. I am, you know, wiping runny noses with her. I am going to basketball games and baseball games, and I am taking my kids to to the park, and, and we're unloading three buckets of baseballs and an L screen, and and we take batting practice, and we take ground balls, and we go out and we talk about the game. I am just being a father. I, want, I am asking about, you know, their homework and, and trying to help in, in any way I can. But I'm just basically being a father, and I love it. I put so much on the line, and I worked so hard being a 44th-round draft pick to try to get to the big leagues, and every single year, I had to fight for that job. And, you know, baseball is so hard and so demanding. I don't know what I would do in this world now. You know, I always say you're being judged by 30, 40,000 people in the stands. You're being judged by 15, 20 people in the front office. You're being judged by 10 to 15 people in the press box. And you're constantly being chased by someone in the minor leagues. It is one of the hardest things to do now. You know, these guys are being judged on social media. You know, Twitter is telling them how terrible they are and and things of that nature. And it's just something that I don't know how I would I would respond to now. But it's so hard. People don't people really lose sight of how hard it is to play baseball and how much those guys give up and how long they have to do that game and how heavy it weighs on your mind. It's so hard. So after all that's all over and done, I am extremely grateful for, for that opportunity and to fulfill my childhood dream. But I had no problems walking away because I knew that I had my children to take care of and, and be a part of their lives, for one. And for two, I have the mentality, you know, the same as when one man dies, a child is born. I mean, if, if, if yes, I, I, I have to walk away from this game that I love. You know, yes, I'm, I'm not performing like I once did. Father time is kicking my butt, or it's becoming harder and harder and harder to recover. You know, my body just doesn't bounce back like it used to when I was 25. Or I might not even get interest to be, you know, employed by a particular baseball organization but it's okay because for every man that departs it gives another 
kid an opportunity to fulfill his dream. And that had to happen for me. It had to happen for the majority of players in the league, or pretty much all the players in the league. One guy had to depart for you to step in. And, and I was okay with that. I was at peace with it, knowing that some other guy was getting the opportunity for, to fulfill his childhood dreams as well. Wow, that's great. That's great. Now, if you if you could go back to one moment in your pro baseball career, is there one favorite day of your career, one favorite moment, one favorite year that you, when you think when I say that, does something stick out in your mind? No, not one. I had so many. Um, you know, I was really, really, really um, so happy. And it was so awesome to be a part of baseball. And now we look back on it and, and you know, we don't know if these guys were were on drugs or not, but we we have a we have a pretty good idea. But when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were going on that run, it was just such a great time to be a part of baseball. The batting practices were so awesome and so electric. It was so many people there just wanting to take pitches. And, you know, every time that you were the visitor or the opponent, I should say, when those guys were in town, you just wanted to be out there and watch and take batting practice. Like I said, speculation is that they were on drugs, and that might be a attributing factor of why they were hitting the ball so far and they made it look so easy. But here nor there, that was a great time to be a part of the game. I loved the first game back. Uh, when my first child was born, my son Elijah was born uh, September 29th in, 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 in 2000. And the, the, I, I'll never forget, I was totally drained. I didn't sleep a wink because when you have a baby, it is one of the worst times in the world. You want to leave the hospital, worst times in the world, I should say, only because you're in that hospital. And I know that they're trying to take care of mom and they're trying to take care of the baby, but there's someone coming in and out of that door literally every two hours. Yeah. Knock, knock, we want to check the baby's temperature. Knock, knock, <laughs> we want to see how mom is doing. So you do, they, they talk about getting some rest. You can't get a wink of rest. <laughs> so I was so tired the next day, and I wound up going two for four, and I still had the you know, the hospital identification wristband on my arm, and it was a great day. That broken bat, Grand Slam, that was another great day. And, 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 and you know, one of the ones, if, if, if I could paint this picture of glowing memories, that's what these would be. And, and another memory that glows in my mind would be my very first Major League hit when I got called up in, in 96 with the Indians. So petrified, so scared, didn't know if I belonged. Uh, and, and, and I'll never forget when that first pitch zipped by me, I said, holy smokes, this is the real deal. And I just thought that I was so overmatched. But the great part about baseball, and a lot of people, you know, contributes the slowness of the game and, and, and and the comparison to uh, baseball is like watching paint dry scenario that you'll hear a lot. It's that way because it's a chess game. 
baseball is chess. It's not checkers. So it's a thinking man's game. And, and, and ironically, the pitcher is thinking about how, and sometimes we overthink ourselves. Yeah. But the pitcher's, think, pitcher's thinking about how, how, how do I pitch to this guy? And it could be uh, something that they're deciding that they want to do just because of how he's approaching the, the pitches that are being thrown to him. Or sometimes it has to do with the scouting report. But hitters are calming themselves down. Hitters are thinking about what he did to someone in the at-bat before me. You know, hitters are thinking about all the things that they saw while they were on deck. So that's the reason why they step out and they're re-Velcroing their batting gloves and they're tugging at their shirt, you know, um, sleeves and things of that nature because they're thinking. And that's what causes it to be slow at times. And, and like I said, within that at-bat, the very first pitch, I thought I was so overmatched. And I just calmed down, and I said, this is the same game as when I played as a nine-year-old. This is the same game. I have to hit the ball, I have to catch it, and I have to run after I hit it. Hit, run, catch. Same game. It's just faster. So get ready a little earlier. Rely on all the preparation you've done since the very first ground ball you took, since the very first form of batting practice you took in Burlington, North Carolina, when you were in rookie ball in the Abbey League. <laughs> Just rely on all of that preparation that you have done, all of those years, all of those balls you hit, and just let your physical ability go to work. Trust yourself. And I wind up hitting a double off the wall. That's one of my glowing memories as well. I love it. I but love it. There's so many, Dave. There's so many, dude. I mean, it's a really, really, really tough yet rewarding lifestyle. Yeah, I could, I can, I can only imagine the tip of the iceberg hearing all this. Well, my 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 uh, my very last question then is, what would you like to say to uh, both Royals and baseball fans listening right now? Well, I would like to say to the Royals fans that. Um, I didn't dislike the fans. I did not dislike the city. I only disliked the situation that I was put in. And that's the reason why it doesn't, um, sit. I don't, I don't, I don't consist of, of fond memories because my, the hand I was dealt was pretty tough, but here nor there, I am so happy that a winner came there. It's such a great team. I was such a fan. Um, being a Kansas City Royal, I took tremendous pride in, like every single jersey I put on, because it was an opportunity that I knew um, wasn't owed to me. Uh, I had to earn that position, and I and I take a lot of pride in the things that I I go out and I earn. But for the baseball fans that are out there, I just like to say that I hope I I hope I. I showed you that I tried my hardest. That's all I tried to do. You know, there's a lot of contributing factors. Some of them, they're, they're skilled. Are you skilled enough to do something? We, we all aren't at a high level of skill when it comes to running or fielding or throwing or hitting. But regardless of your physical ability or your high level of skill and your ability to apply that skill, I just hope that I gave 
everyone the impression that I left it on the field because I honest and truly tried my hardest every single day and every single year. I only knew how to work. One of the cliches that I talk to my kids about is that it doesn't matter the size of the dog. What matters is the size of the fight within the dog. And if you can play and attack every day like you're pushing a boulder uphill, like you're against the eight ball or behind the eight ball, if you can approach this chihuahua's attitude in this big dog world, you are going to be successful because in that mindset, you will never be outworked. And that's what I tried to do. I was never outworked, and I tried my hardest every day. And I hope every single baseball team that I was on, I left that impression. I hope every baseball fan that happened to be a fan recognized that within me. Well, I got to tell you, man, this uh, you know has been. I've interviewed hundreds of people. This is definitely amongst my my favorites. Up right up there with Trinidad, actually, when I <laughs> had him on a while back. So it was really, uh, you know, really really powerful stuff hearing about you. You know, talk about growing up and be, being a parent first of all, but then of course all the baseball stories. And I'm sure we just talked about the tip of the iceberg. But I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, you know, we you and I have been talking for a couple years about finding some time to do this. So I'm glad we finally did yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah. and I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed uh, taking a trip down memory lane. And I want to. Thank you. You know, maybe you weren't, uh, you know, it wasn't your favorite stop here in KC, but I'm glad you were uh, royal, so we were able to have this conversation, man. And I'm definitely a fan, and definitely want to stay in touch. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for the kind words as well. Um, I'm glad we got it done, also, because hey, I, I, I always, like I said, I always try my hardest, but you know, sometimes our schedules don't always match up. But I'm glad we finally did it, and and, and I hope that our relationship continues to to grow going on forward. Absolutely. Hope to see you back here. Uh, maybe I'll bring the kids out here for a baseball tournament or come out here for a game one of these days. It'd be cool to, cool to meet up with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, do you have any way of, 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 of sending the tape of, or the recording of this? Yeah, me? absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, this will be uh, online forever. I'll play some of it here on KC Radio on my show here, but I'll put the entire thing uh, online so uh, fans and family and friends everywhere can hear it for all time, man. You can download it through iTunes and through the website and also stream it that way too. So absolutely, man. I'm, I'm getting, the, getting the stories out to the people. That's what it's all about. Okay, sounds good, brother. Well, I appreciate that. I'll talk to you soon, okay, Dave? Okay, take care. Have a great night. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.